Hey guys, welcome back to Vice Casting Couch, episode 28, season 1. Today we have Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. Do you know where the other guys went for this episode? Uh, <laughs> no. Isaac, actually, I, I reached out to him. He, uh, he had a work emergency he got called into, so he, he will not be joining us. It's always those unified switches, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, DNS went down or something. We don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, what, what kind of story do you have today? Well, and Aaron, but he's uh, he's not here either. Well, he's, you know, I, we refer to him as Satellite Family. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Aaron, if you're listening? <laughs> anyway, man, uh, what kind we of story you. are you going to talk about today? So the story I got is uh, a research group from the Human Rights Watch. Uh, they analyzed a ton of websites and apps that were used during the coronavirus. A bunch of EDU apps, uh, education apps that uh, kids were either choosing to use, their parents were choosing them to use, or they were forced by their school district to use. And uh, an estimated 1.5 billion students went this route during this time. That's a lot of kids. And now that many kids are returning to school, um, as I said, researchers are now analyzing 164 educational apps and websites used in 49 countries that were used during this time. And some of them are still in use. Some places still haven't gone uh, you know, fully back to school. So what they found was nearly 90% of the educational tools were designed to send the information they collected to nearly 200 ad technology companies to include Facebook and Google, which could uh, use it to estimate students' interests and predict what they want to buy or in reality what they would ask their parents to buy. They also requested access to students' cameras, contacts, and locations, even when it's, it was completely unnecessary to their schoolwork. Uh, some recorded students' keystrokes even before they hit submit to the, uh, to the privacy policy. As an example, the learning app uh, Schoolology, which was and still is heavily used in the U.S., has code in the app that would have allowed it to extract a unique identifier from the student's phone, which is then made into an advertising ID and sent to marketing companies and then used to track these kids across a myriad of different apps. So even after they closed out, it still tracked them around different apps and devices and built a profile around them so then it could sell that to different companies so they could you know, market products to these kids. Another is the website ST Math, which says it's a visual instructional program for as early as pre-kindergarten students. Uh, was shown to share user data with 19 third-party trackers to include, again, Facebook and Google, and then also Twitter and Shopify. And this is all after YouTube was <laughs> fined millions of dollars for taking kids' data years ago, and Facebook was found to unknowingly or to knowingly be hurting kids psychologically. Uh, when it was leaked that they did a study concerning their news feed and social media feeds on uh, apps like Instagram, it was shown to have a huge negative effect on children's psyches, and they still did not change anything until uh, even after it was leaked, they, they really didn't change anything. So now if you've listened to our show before, you've heard us talk about COPPA or COPA, however you pronounce it, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Uh, we've talked about that pretty extensively in the past. Uh, that's what got YouTube in trouble several times in the past. Uh, this law requires special consideration when dealing with children's data and restrict, uh, restricts a lot of how the data is collected. However, when asked about this, many of these uh, EDU companies that make these apps and websites said that their privacy policy states that they do not knowingly collect any information from children under the age of 13, which for some reason pretty much gets them off scot-free. Uh, even though their software is made for kids as young as four years old, uh, just entering the education system, What's more is some of the apps required the parents to consent to the collection of data before the kid could use it, which does align with uh, with COPPA. However, even if the parents didn't want to use the app, 
the school, if they're the ones that need it and recommend it, they can consent on behalf of the children without the parents' consent because it's used for, you know, quote unquote, educational choices or whatever. Researchers also found that most school districts uh, had not conducted any technical privacy evaluations before endorsing teaching tools or mandating their use, which is pretty crazy. Uh, on the bright side, though, some companies do build platforms that don't do any of this. The app Math Kids is one. There's There was zero tracking found in the app showing that the excuse of, well, that's just how it is or it's necessary. Uh, that's just kind of a cop out argument that like there you can build an educational app without tracking people without knowing who the user is you can you know assign a, a username or something to a certain kid so you can track their work without having to you know track them across all kinds of apps and stuff like that the researchers at human rights watch argued that governments should conduct data privacy audits of these children's apps and remove the the most invasive ones and help guide teachers parents and children on how best or children and how best to prevent data over collection or misuse. Bill Fitzgerald, he's a privacy researcher and former teacher. Uh, he was not involved in the in the study, but he did comment on it and said that the conversation the industry wants us to have is what's the harm, right? But then he added the right conversation or the ethical conversation is what's the need? Why does a fourth grader need to be tracked by a third party vendor to learn math? Which I completely agree with. Another school teacher brought up an interesting point as well. Many of her students are refugees from war-torn countries um, or immigrants getting away from oppression, and they're scared how the data will be used against them since they're basically just being sold to the highest bidder. And also their families who are still in those countries. I mean, they come to the U.S. for a fresh start, and then their entire identity gets tracked, harvested, and compiled and sold to whomever. So yeah, that's the uh, it's a little uh, it's kind of a little scary. <laughs> well, you mentioned in there that they recommended the government audits these apps do you think do you agree with that or do you think there's a better solution or i mean at this point since no one else is going to or seems to want to because obviously this you know the human rights group or human rights watch they can't really do anything they can just publish it and a lot of these school districts also like argued their they defended their point uh, so a lot of the school districts don't want to do anything on their part they say they don't have the manning for to to audit this stuff. Uh, they said that they were they were highly pressured by parents to pick something quickly so that their kids could get back in school. So I I mean I get that there were a lot of pressures and stuff like that, but I mean with how slow government entities work, like with school districts, you know, included, I, I'm just very surprised that they didn't kind of pump the brakes a little bit and and say okay. Yes, we will get you something, but we do want to test it first. Because, I mean, there's there's plenty of research foundations and stuff like that that you can hire to look at this sort of stuff. I mean, there's probably people that would have done it for free as well. If like, hey, we want to push this out to kids. Can you just look at the code? Uh, I'm, I'm sure Human Rights Watch would have done it for free. I mean, they're doing it for free right now. So, yeah, I don't think I don't necessarily agree that the government should be the one to to audit all these. But since no one else is and no one else seems to have the authority to make them do it i don't see another option honestly this is interesting because uh i know recently i think it was about a month ago the kids online safety act it was being pushed in congress i don't know if it actually got passed or not but a lot of people were calling that out as it's using the guise of protecting children while also being a privacy nightmare for anyone else on the internet yeah i i heard of that i haven't like researched or anything like that and i heard it was kind of it would kind of uh make it very difficult for everyone it's kind of that i mean it's kind of that razor's edge though of okay do you want to lock down everything to protect kids or do you kind of have to put in more work and more resources to try to target 
know, specific things that are hurting kids. You know, it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess it's a toss up between them. Personally, I, I think there, there are better routes. I think that is the easy answer is just, okay, we'll lock everything down. You know, one person craps their pants, everyone wears diaper type thing, kind of corporate punishment mentality. But I, I, I personally don't agree with it. I think that there is a lot that can be done to stop companies from harvesting data from children. Um, and we've talked, again, we've talked about this extensively in the past. Uh, when we brought up uh, Kappa um, and YouTube and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a little too far to go into it to that depth to, like, just lock everything down. It's just interesting. And, you know, I don't want to d- dwell on the Kid Online Safety Act. But, you know, in there they talk about having some kind of elaborate age verification system. Mm-hmm. And the EFF on their article says it would likely be run by some kind of third party. Do you think... Do you think that's, you know, necessary or do you think we should just let the Internet be how it is and and, you know, maybe just talk to kids and say, hey, yeah, there's some messed up stuff out there, you know, or, or put it on the parents because like a lot of home routers, they have various parental controls. Yeah. Again, I think it's kind of the razor edge thing. Like, do you want to have everyone you know who logs into the Internet or logs into anything verify their age? In a way that can't be fudged, right? Because, like, I mean, we were all 14 at a certain time and, like, website pops up and be like, oh, you have to be this, you know, this amount or this age to log in or whatever. You're trying to look at, like, a Steam store page or something like that. And then you just put in a random birth date and keep going. Every kid's going to do that. No kid's going to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be on here and click off. That's not going to happen. Uh, so you would have to make it pretty stringent. So it would have to be, I don't know, if you have to put in, like, your social security number or something like that. I don't know. A lot of websites, you know, I've noticed this even with Facebook, they're starting to require um, you to upload your driver's license or some kind of state issued ID. Personally, I think that's a little too far. I think the direction of the conversation should be directed towards why is this being collected in the first place rather than, okay, since companies are doing this and they don't want to stop, now we have to make, we have to jump through hoops to get onto the internet. I, I feel like there's it's the wrong conversation to have to be like, oh, should we upload our IDs? No, I don't think we should. I just don't think it should be harvested in the first place. So you said, um, what was it, Math for Kids? They didn't collect any information? Correct. Yeah, it was uh, Math for Kids. That was the one that was brought up in the article anyways. And so it only teaches math? Yeah, I believe it only teaches math. Um, well, if you're a math teacher, go get that because yeah. that's the best one. <laughs> yeah, they the Human Rights Watch, they researched that one. They said it had absolutely zero tracking that was found in the app they reached out to the people and they said yeah we the guy who owns it he has kids of its own and he said i obviously i don't want this for my kids so why would i make something that tracks my kids around the internet basically he said that this is you know an argument against all the other ones who are saying because a lot of the companies were defending that they track kids and they're like well we have to make sure it's you know them and that's to track their schoolwork and blah 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 And he said, no, it doesn't. We're able to do it just fine without any tracking. You're choosing to do that because you can make a quick buck off the back end. Well, I was going to go into my story next, you know, speaking about uh, schools and whatnot. The FBI does warn that uh, hackers are selling VPN credentials for U.S. college networks. Um, They said the exposure of sensitive credentials and network access information, especially for privileged user accounts, could lead to subsequent cyber attacks against individual users or affiliated organizations. They've also noticed that um, mainly involves spear phishing and ransomware to carry out these credential harvesting activities and that they're being sold on Russian cybercrime forums. 
uh, for varying prices, but up to about $1,000. Amid this, they also point out that they could use uh, brute force credential stuffing attacks to break into victim accounts spanning multiple different um, sites and services. And if they're successful doing that, they could potentially, you know, drain any kind of, you know, money or leverage credit cards and all kinds of personal identifiable information. They also noticed that there's been a recent uptick in this kind of behavior. They've noticed about 36,000 email and password combinations from email accounts ending in .edu domains have becoming more and more publicly available on various instant messaging platforms and are being sold by groups that specialize in trafficking of stolen login credentials. Obviously, they say to mitigate these, make sure to keep your systems up to date, your software up to date, and you know, just raise awareness about phishing and secure accounts with two-factor authentication. Yeah, I was going to say, put two-factor authentication on if you can. <laughs> well, the problem with two-factor authentication, at least now, is you know they always push for sms two-factor authentication and i get it it's mm. easy everyone has a phone but like what they really should push for and this will still work because people have a phone is like the one time uh is it the otp like the stuff like yeah. authy and <clears throat> you know and otp and yeah. aegis aegis is a good one those are more secure because like with phones if you social engineer your phone company just right you could uh do the what the sim porting mm-hmm and so then now I own your number, I can complete the two factor and then I can do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, uh, I mean, look at Facebook with their, uh, like two factor authentication for logging in with your, with your cell phone. Right. I mean, if you have a number that someone else doesn't use anymore, you can just log into their account <laughs> if they didn't take it off their profile. So, and I mean, I guess it, you know, it's the user responsibility at the end of the day, but yeah, it's not very, uh, it's not uh, foolproof, I guess, if you just use the SMS or, or even the email or whatever. If someone, you know, hacks your email, then they pretty much have two-factor authentication for everything. Well, and that's why I was going to bring up, if more and more sites started adding support for like YubiKeys that use, I think it's the U2F protocol and then i think the other one's fido we would have way better security because that gives that like you know that second factor that like something you own not everyone you like you can't just steal a yubikey like you can't call t-mobile and impersonate me and get a yubikey yeah. that's not how that works so would that be like a like a key fob type thing yeah it, it plugs into a usb port and there's a button on it the site set up like there's a few sites and you can actually there's a there's a website i'll put it in the comments or in the description but it lists various, like Google supports it. I think Bank of America, there's a few bigger ones. Login.gov, um, that supports it as well. But it's a, it's just a more secure method. And, and you can get YubiKeys pretty cheap. If if not YubiKey, there's OnlyKey, NitroKey. There's a few different brands for these. Yeah, I would definitely be all for that. NitroKey is an open source hardware design. So, you know, if you're paranoid, you can go with that one. Yeah, because I mean, that's, I mean... If you just attach it to your keys or keep it around your computer monitor or something like that, like that, that'd be pretty easy. It's not a... Yeah, it goes on your keychain. You, you plug it in and then you have to press... There's an actual physical button on the device. And when you press that, then it sends a code to the machine that they can verify. And so like that's what's kind of nice is you actually have to like press the button. You can't have software like trick it or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be all for that. I wish uh, more websites went to that. That would be uh, very secure. Speaking of keeping your software up to date... Make sure to update your Firefox or any Firefox related things such as Tor browser. Um, it says Thunderbird's affected, but I'm not entirely sure how. But there was recently two CVEs that are being patched by Mozilla. They affect JavaScript and it refers to something called prototype pollution. 
And this could be weaponized to gain JavaScript code execution on devices running these vulnerable versions of Firefox. With this, they say that if you're visiting a malicious website and an attacker could control this website, might be able to access your password or other sensitive information that you send to other websites afterwards during the same session. It's actually interesting that this is really easy to, it look, well, it looked easy, I should say, to implement. Um, Manfred Paul, he's one of the security researchers, and he actually demonstrated this at the Pwn to Own hacking contest held in Vancouver. And like in the video, it took some like less than 20 seconds. <laughs> and you know, be, this was so impressive, they actually awarded him $100,000 for Jeez. performing. So he was but, the one that found it or he just uh, demonstrated it? I believe he's one of the finders. I'd have to double check that when my DNS is working again. <laughs> but it is, um, they do say that even if you are using one of these older versions, what you could do is just disable JavaScript. Or if you're in the Tor browser, use the safest security level. And that'll fix it because it just disables JavaScript altogether. Yeah, it's usually a good call. They also wanted to note that if you're using Tails, make sure to update to the 5.1, which comes out May 31st. Um, all the tails before that will include the old Tor browser bundle, so make sure to update or disable JavaScript one or two. And what was the version of uh, Firefox? I think it was a hundred dot zero dot two. Okay. If I remember correctly, you know, this, this affects everything from, uh, you know, your Firefox on your browser, but also Firefox on Android. So if you're running that, um, I'm not sure what the version would be for that one, but make sure to just keep all this stuff up to date. They also wanted to point out that this is only for the browser and it doesn't break the anonymity or encryption provided by Tor. So if you're using Tor or Tails, you should still be fine. It's just, it could potentially pilfer stuff like passwords, private messages, personal information, stuff like that. Or just get no script. Oh, yeah, no script <laughs> is great. It will break everything though. <laughs> Half the websites don't work. For real, I have that. Well, and that's the thing. If you disable JavaScript, it'll break them all too. Yeah, that's uh, true. It's not like the early 2000s when you could just click a web page and it looked good. <laughs> yeah, there's just today, like trying to log into some websites and stuff like that that rely heavily on JavaScript. It always catches me off guard when I'm like, this website looks different. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I got to disable no script to log into this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, real quick, I just wanted to throw something in there. If you're an AMD fan, there's some good news. They're uh, showcasing the Ryzen 7000 CPUs that are, I think they're on what, AM5, the 5 nanometer Zen 4 architecture. Oh. They're going to boast up to 16 cores. According to Lisa Su, they will run significantly above 5 gigahertz. Jeez. And we're seeing about a 15% performance increase on Cinebench's single threaded benchmark. Wow. That's a pretty exciting. Bump. They're also going from the uh, pin grid array to the uh, LAN grid array. So similar to Intel, mm. they say due to the signal integrity that it'll be better that way. Well, maybe that'll drive down the prices of the last generation. I can upgrade my stuff. <laughs> and we'll see. You know, there's still really, I think there's another AM4 processor slated to be released um, soon, but this will be rolling out. I don't know. I can't find it at the moment. But it will be rolling out soon. They do mention that it will also have the new DDR5 and the PCIe 5.0. Nice. It's going to have a lot of improvements. I'm kind of excited. It, it will say it will retain the AM4 cooler support. So if you have a heatsink made for AM4, that should work as well. Mm. But you won't be able to use CPUs based for AM4, if that makes any sense. I think so. So it's not it's not AM4. No, it'll be AM5. That's their new socket because, like I said, they're going to the LAN. Oh, I see. Array. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
but it will basically be about the same size. So you could use a heat sink and it'll use the same mounting. Okay, but you couldn't just upgrade your AM4 motherboard with the new CPU. You'd have to get a new motherboard. Yeah, you'd have to get a new motherboard. There's a new chipset, the uh, what X6780. Oh, and X670, my bad. But yeah, there'll be a new, new chipset, new socket. Um, they do say it'll have, you can have up to 14 USB 3.0 boards, you know, 20 gigabit per second via USB-C, all, all this good stuff. It, so it seems really exciting. They showcase off a, a 16 core chip that had five that hit 5.5 gigahertz on the clock speed. So pretty excited and giving Intel a run for the money. I think I see a new build in my future. And man, as long as you know they can keep up with stock, these new egg lotteries aren't True. hitting anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's been getting better because I've I've been on the market for a new GPU for a while, and they they have come down a bunch in price. Oh yeah, um, the past couple months have. We've seen them come down substantially. They're still not where they should be. But no, they've come down from their like two grand a pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was trying to get one last year. I was trying to get like a thirty sixty or something like that. And yeah, they were either sold out or it was a you know freaking scalper or something that was charging like two grand, and it was definitely big sad. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you got anything else, John? No, that's about it for me. Any parting know. shots? Yeah, I just uh, want to thank Ryan over here for breaking my DNS. <laughs> every time I try and click Look. on something to verify the information I'm reading, it the webpage will say server not found. You know, I can't. It's I, I'm not, surprised the podcast is still working. You know, it must be IP based or something. But. It's not my fault that your servers are so loud that it almost drowns out your voice. <laughs> no, you know, the ads character, they know I'm in the action, live in the server room, you know, oh my goodness. breaking news about Russian cyber criminals. What's the North Korea one? The the panda? Um, Something you know like that. About? Yeah. Sleepy panda or whatever. Oh, yeah. We got all the sleepy pandas. Let me tell you. <laughs> but yeah, it was extremely loud and sounded like a prop plane. Should I turn it off for him? I, sure. Turn, turn it off. It's not even that loud. It, <laughs> but in editing, it's extremely loud. <laughs> nah, it's not even that bad. If I cut out that, that fan frequency, it cuts out a huge chunk of audio. Oh, oh my that goodness! <laughs> hey, you know the power up. <laughs> So like R2-D2 flying in the background. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to Device Casting Couch. Uh, I'll leave your poor ears to go. Um, <laughs> and me and Ryan will see you guys in the future. All right, bye. Bye.